welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast and I'm your host Cole Sharman. Today we are joined by Simon Fraser. Simon is the co-founder and managing director of Hut6 Security, a startup based in Wales creating a comprehensive solution to human error in information security. Simon works closely with clients consulting on their security awareness needs and designing specific and customized campaigns. Hope you enjoy. Beecher Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge, and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Hi Simon, how are you today? Hi, not too bad. Enjoying the second day of the process. Yeah, yeah let's, let's start there. Why are you here? So uh, we entered the DCMS uh, Cyber Innovation and uh, along with 26 other companies, we pitched off at the Ernst Young headquarters at Canary Wharf. And we were lucky enough to win a stand and two speaking slots in the Innovation Zone. Excellent. A great reason to be at InfoSec. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born just down the road. Uh, I grew up in uh, Putney, just south of the river. And... Um, had a great education, ended up moving a long way down the M4, uh, went to University of Bristol, did a Master's in Physics and Philosophy there, uh, and then I uh, joined a thing called the Alacrity Foundation, which is a tech incubator based in South Wales, and we started up Hut6 looking at the human factor in security as a massive issue that doesn't have that many comprehensive solutions. Um, yeah, we've really refined our value proposition. We received investment from various Welsh investors, including the Welsh Government, the Fowlers of Admiral, Terry Matthews. Uh, we've built a really good dedicated team that's developing the Hut6 product. Excellent. Just going back slightly, who were your parents? Uh, my mother and father, Rupert and Anne. Um, great people, gave me a fantastic education. My father was an entrepreneur who worked in the energy industry, um, working in... Uh, chicken ship biomass, believe it or not, um, and my grandfather set up to deliver three, um, three power stations in the UK and, and sort of pioneered that. Uh, my mother is an educator, she works with special needs children um, as a teaching assistant and has been doing that all her life. What influences do you think they have on you, or had on you? They instilled a great sense of respect for intelligence. Um, think that uh, they're very kind people, um, but most of all I think they've given me sort of drive and ambition to, to achieve what I think I can achieve. So how do you get to be a founder of a startup? So it's really about whether you know you want to work for yourself or someone else and when you're working for yourself every ounce of effort you put in benefit to you and your aim and you really have control over what the company ethos is and, and, and what the product and solution you're offering does. Um, making sure that it is that it doesn't have any of the arbitrary stuff that you don't personally believe in, really driving that personal mission. 
Um, in terms of how I've ended up here, I knew I wanted to start a business, I knew I wanted to work in software. Cybersecurity was an incredibly hot topic and I met, I met a really talented team with a lot of um, security backgrounds and, and degrees and interest. Um, and we ended up seeing this gap and you know the security awareness market's huge there are tons of vendors here offering these solutions and yet no one player is dominating the market it's because there are so many different approaches required for so many different customers uh, and there's a lot of differentiators it's still defining itself you know we're in the, the second year of Gartner's magic quadrant of security awareness um, or for the second I think it's started in 2015 um, so third year and the definers of what sets these different vendors apart are still coming through. At the moment, it's content and delivery, but it's shifting towards a position where you're building software tools to help test the efficacy, because most customers need to be proven of the efficacy of training and whether it actually provides any substantial ROI to their business. Was When you was at university, was being a founder of a startup your priority or passion? So I studied physics and philosophy, and that was a very academic degree, so that was focused around sort of scientific method. Uh, with an entire master's degree, I ended up specializing in quantum computing, looking at um, the generation of non-classical light. Got very interested in quantum computers, cryptography, and security from that standpoint. And then philosophy really is interpreting the, the, the questions that physics presents. You know, how do you interpret what uh, diff different, you know, empirical studies into a more reasonable interpretation. It's really that translation from technology to explanation uh, that, that, I, that I took away from university. The entrepreneurial spark of it came, I think, from, again, following my own path, wanting to do my own thing, and really um, identifying that, that that's the way that I think business is moving. And did you work in another firm before you had your own startup? So I, um, I started off straight out of university joining this uh, incubator, actually. Uh, so I, with, uh, while we were in there, we worked with three different industry partners over the year, solving their problems, building solutions for them internally, so that when it came to building our own company, we knew exactly what customers want and how to tailor a solution around their specific needs. Uh, my own personal experience before them was working summers. I did a couple of internships in... Um, in finance, I saw that as a bit of a, um, a a possible avenue for me to pursue, but I didn't want to go into an internship and a three-year um, graduate um, course that would leave me not as uh, versatile and, and, and mobile as I have been. Um, I've really learned it all. You know, in, in starting a business, you wear many different hats all the time. So I, you know, I put on my HR hat, I put on my marketing hat, I put on my sales hat. Um, and really just learn it all on the go. Uh, and I've built a great team around me who helps support each of those functions. And as I refine what my business, what, what my role in the business is about, Heart 6 just grows in talent and, and, and people able to, to deliver what our customers need. Now, there's a lot of startups in this area right now. So what's the biggest tips that you can give anyone that's looking to you know, start their own business in this area? I think cybersecurity is a great industry to be in because there is a vast array of problems. You know, you look at the number of stands here at InfoSec and there are myriad upon myriad of problems being solved, which means that we're not all direct competitors. Um, and in 
that industry, you can look at partnerships, you can look at collaborating with other companies, you can talk to cybersecurity professionals who work within your, um, your sort of customer, uh, your potential customers' organizations, and work out what their pain points are. Um, you know, if they're struggling to do network monitoring, then you can look at how the current tools are set up and look for that gap. Um, with R1, we were looking at why people aren't pervasively taking up awareness training. It's mostly because they either get think it's you know inefficient or ineffective, or they don't think they can see the ROI, or they don't think that it's scalable. Um, and it's about fixing those issues as as they as they come up, but really picking an area that your customers haven't solved themselves. Now you're nearly two years in. So what's the biggest challenges you've found so far? So we took on our seed funding in January 2017. Uh, the biggest challenges, I think, have been uh, initial traction, getting those first partners, getting those lighthouse customers. We work with a large UK public sector, high-tech engineering, hospitality, a very diverse client base, all with very different needs. But getting in the door for the first type of customer that you're dealing with, for example, uh, FS, financial sector, they have very specific requirements around compliance and regulation that you need to satisfy. And if you can't say, oh, I've worked with FS before, they are less likely to hear you than if, if you want. So convincing those first Lighthouse customers to take us on board. And I think we've done that now and ready to scale and uh, looking at going global this year with new language development and new partnerships in other regions. How did you get over that first hur hurdle? Well, I have to say the, uh, our investor network was a great place to start. You know, when you've got expertise and um, confidence from your backers, that they can sort of open the door for you and, and once you're in front of them, you, you wow them. Um, it's really getting in front of them through your, through your network, first of all. Second of all, persistence and marketing, you know. Uh, anything you can do to put yourself out there as a thought leader, as a, uh, as a different solution, people will often want to hear you. And, you know, events like this, if you can stand up alongside some other innovative companies, alongside your competitors and say, this is what we do differently, this is how we see the market and the solution, uh, people will listen. So moving on to your actual organization now, what, to summarize, what problems or challenges are you looking to actually solve as your end objective? So we solve human error. We're looking at all the uh, breaches around, uh, that, that happen through the human factor, whether it start with a phishing email, start with poor password practice, social engineering. How do you actively change behavior in those settings? Uh, we're trying to move past an awareness program to a sort of to one that is tailored specifically to an organization's expertise, their users' actual actions and behaviors, and most importantly, implementing their policies. Uh, so we've built our own customized learning management system that works not off video, but instead off animated and voiced content that is modular. So you can chop and change out parts that don't reflect your organization's specific policies or wouldn't have any bearing to your, you know, potentially working with very technical employees who don't need to understand the basics, but instead they want to be pitched to a level where they need to hear the reasoning behind and explain the technical virtue behind what they're doing. We have that modular content and we work closely with our clients and as we scale, we just build that library. So it's then able, we're able to just put in those bespoke assessments, make it as customized as possible so you're not hitting your employees with the same awareness um, campaign every year, but it's up to date with new case studies focused around their actual job so they can get on with their job and, and not have you as a hindrance, but more as a, a 
touchstone for what security means to your company. And why human security for you? Well, it's one of the largest, uh, it's the greatest source of security breaches, it's the most prevalent cause, um, you know, with consistently malicious code being injected by phishing email or ransomware, um, phishing, social engineering, and all these user-focused causes behind security breaches. And yet there's not a similar response, so there's not the similar risk to um, mitigation that you would expect to see for something so large. So there's a big gap in the market because the current solutions on hand are not comprehensive solutions. They don't, no one is going, right, this solved my entire issue. I think there's still space for innovation in this, in, in this, uh, this massive topic. And also, we still need to get it right. So how do you go about assessing human security? So we work very closely with companies to build bespoke assessments so that they're asking their employees the questions they want to they want heard. Um, so we work with, uh, we have five to 10 minute tutorials that are animated content, again, customized to your organization. And it's a lot of scenario-based training. So you ask, you know, if you were in this breach, what would you have done differently? How would you then uh, mitigate the, the, the ongoing problem? And then you'd ask a specific question about, well, at your organization, so in your specific name organization, what is the policy for this? And you want to check that they know exactly what that is. So once you have that record, you then move to the testing section, which is, again, looking at more bespoke assessments following on from the modules um, and doing phishing simulations, but only doing phishing simulations in a positive light. So you're training them about the latest phishing trends and not trying to catch them out or make them look like fools, but instead an interesting way to deliver new ideas about what the latest attacks look like. You know, how are the, what, what are the cleverest phishing attacks and can we tell people what they might look like so they just get that element of reporting back in. And then all of that you want to track. You want to be able to show this is who has done what training, how we're progressing with that and make sure that you can keep all, level, all parts of your organization level and benchmarked with each other. So you have a cyber risk profile for each user, each department and each topic. How honestly can you manage or change behavior? So it's interesting because I, you know, every employee responds to different motivators. Um, so when you're changing behavior, you need to talk to their uh, personal lives, you need to talk to their professional lives, you need to talk to their financial sense, their um, social behaviors, you know, people around them, are they doing that? Is that your company culture? Um, Quite often you need to talk to their technical virtue, if they understand why a policy is there and not, it's not just an arbitrary security measure, but instead it's a reasoned and, and visible threat, then they're more likely to respond. But it really depends on who you're working with, because all those different motivators will apply to different employees. So I think the most effective way to do it is to have these short, concise, engaging tutorials that respect to users' time and expertise tailored and customized on a modular level for each employee. So you're not providing the same training to your staff in, in every department because different staff need to hear different things. Um, so keeping it specific and, and focused is your best chance of changing behavior. There are, of course, there will be elements where we can't help everyone. And, you know, there's always a, a base level of people who will have contempt for what you're doing. But as long as you put in the effort and people can see the value of what you're doing, 
then you've got a better chance than just doing it for the sake of doing it. How quickly can you assess someone's motivation? That happens, I suppose, on an ongoing basis with our clients. We have quite, um, we have about sort of 50 or so clients right now where we have a lot of to and fro with our support team, our development team. Um, but quite often, they have a mature awareness um, initiative going on in their organization, and they know how their users want to be spoken to. So we usually set up a sort of, we suggest that they take ownership across the board. Uh, um, we usually suggest that they take ownership across the board from different departments and different organizations so that each uh, facet of their business has some sort of input into what the awareness campaign looks like so that it goes to a review feedback group a week early, they pick out all the things they don't agree with or the little specifications they want to put in and it takes us a matter of minutes to put it into our, into our platform. You mentioned yesterday in your talk about motivating secure behavior. What is secure behavior? Secure behavior is what we mean by it is, is the habitual response to suspicious threat indicators that make you choose the most secure path over, say, the most convenient path or the quickest path. Um, so it's really about what, what you do to avoid the threats, not so much as a, it has to be in response to a threat. It can't just be, oh, this is what we do because we do it. And it, it has to always be reasoned and, and, in, and, and mitigating some sort of uh, potential damage to your organization, whether that be double checking on a link before you click through. Very, very simple things, but it's about convincing people that they are worthwhile and, and making sure that the threat is not done through fear, uncertainty, and doubt, but instead explained with real case studies that drive home the threat in their particular instance. And when we're talking about this insider threat, what is the most frequent threat that you will often see happening to organizations? Oh, phishing, 100%. It's, it's phishing and it's the more sophisticated forms of phishing. So it's, it's CEO fraud, it's uh, mimicking internal memos, it's tracking, and that's often you know, the opening piece in a more sophisticated social attack. Um, so you're looking at, you know, say, say someone has got some visibility on your communications internally and they can work out that you have just authorized a payment, you've just processed an invoice and they see that on the Friday and then on the Monday morning they send an email pretending to be your finance director saying, hi, and they use the specific amount and they, it's exactly the time you'd expect the communication but you get two emails at that time and they both look quite similar because he knows the format, the, the attacker knows the format. It's about being suspicious of those those instances and making sure that you don't go past protocol or policy to placate whoever's asking without first verifying over the phone by different means. Um, but yeah, it's really those those specific and tailored attacks um, that do the that a do a lot of damage because they're often targeted at the high level stuff, and b are just incessant. You know, organisations are bombarded by these by these in large numbers. So you'd say this is this could be a huge culture shift for many organizations? When we start training with them, I think that a lot of people get excited to begin with. They see the, the first couple of tutorials and they're like, great, yeah, uh, you know, okay, I'm being talked to like an adult. I'm, I'm, I'm 
not they're not teaching me things I didn't I, I already knew so and it doesn't feel like common sense they're using real case studies I'm actually got up to date you know oh this happened last week great like I get to know something more focused and tailored to my specific instance then we see a little bit of a drop off as people have to get on with their normal day to day jobs they go oh okay hot sex okay yep but the continual engagement we see is probably the most rewarding so when people tune in every two weeks and it's only five to ten minutes they can do it whenever they want to go, do on the go on their mobile on their laptop um, all they need is a browser and an internet connection and it's that continual engagement where they know they're getting new content they know it's not last year's they know it's not just a library and for the sake of it but it's got input from their organization and there's buy-in from the top so I think I think that's the cultural shift we see when we start working with people is that we, we manage to make a continual uh, and it, it, it's it's combating that security fatigue that's one of our company values. When I've talked to some of the data guys about GDPR, they've used stuff like, you know, data angels, data groups, data, influ- data influencers. Do you, do you try and group people up in organizations that might already be brought into this? So in our LMS, um, we work with user groups and that's really up to our clients how they configure those. Um, because you want to measure awareness in different ways. Uh, if you want to measure it by job role, sure, that works pretty well. Uh, people do different tasks, make sure you can deliver different training to those, to those people with the specific tasks. But again, you can also do it through different hierarchies as well. If you know you've got someone who is going to be a security advocate for you in an organization and be able to talk around and promote your message, because honestly, you always have to have other accoutrements to this training. It needs to be supported with, with actual value, otherwise people won't see the value in themselves. It's not a first priority for you. It probably won't register as a third priority for, for your employees. Um, so yeah, you can configure it how you, you can really set it up how you want. I always suggest that there is that cross-departmental feel. Um, I suggest that you hand out visibility for metrics for you know how the awareness campaign is going to various people who will care. Um, the more information you provide people, the, the easier it is for them to sing your tune and, and get that sort of socially recognized, oh, this is what we do, and this is our value to our company. At what point, or is there a point maybe, that you will give up or have to report that an individual is not buying in or improving? So there's a wonderful, uh, I saw a wonderful talk last year from Ed Tucker, who's the CISO of HMRC, uh, or was. uh, He was talking about uh, running some phishing campaigns. Was it Ed Tucker? Scratch that. I think it was... It was, it was a talk here last year in the Pillar Hall. I can't remember if it was Ed Tucker. I think Ed Tucker's was on DMARC and preventing phishing emails. But this talk was about running phishing campaigns. And he was saying, we ran different sophist- levels of sophistication of campaigns through the, through the tiers. So you know, you've got your pretty much in- indistinguishable spear phishing email all the way down to your free money click here email. And he was running it with about 5,000 users. And he said there was a staggering 6% at the bottom who just clicked on anything you sent them. And no amount of training or, or you know, unless you went and saw them face to face and said, what the hell were you thinking? You wouldn't be able to get a, a response out of them. And whether we would give up on those users or sort of the irreparable 6% is, is a difficult one. You know, you, can you motivate people who just A, don't care, B, might be malicious, or C, just 
it's not in their job role or mindset to have to deal with these threats. Um, I think that that's one best handled outside of the awareness campaign. Um, it's something that we can alert, alert people to, you know, if you can see, oh, okay, this user is, you get a notification through the system, it says this user is performing less than you would, uh, than your benchmark figure, then it's something that I think you need to handle in person because that person is a threat to your company. Whether you can change their behavior is a different question, but you need to, you need to mitigate the threat. Do you think there would be a point in the recruitment process where this could potentially be assessed earlier before someone enters into a business? That's interesting. I, a lot of organizations who deal in security obviously hire on security values and virtues and that sort of stuff. That's great. I think as, a recruit, as, a, as, a, as an employer myself, I like to recruit people who have common sense, who are actively engaged with what the business is doing, who want to achieve something. That works in a small organization. You can build the ethos where you can make sure that you don't, that they always fit within the company culture. And if that company culture involves security, then yes. Um, I don't know if you could make it a black, I don't know how, how you would make that part of the recruitment process, but I think it's about making security part of your company culture and then making sure that they fit with that culture. And you, you said to me just before we started this that you're starting to work with more global companies even though their headquarters is based here. So how are you finding, especially yourself, you know, founder of a small company, managing the culture is probably, you know, no disrespect, but slightly simpler than working for a big organization. So how do you find human security within a larger global organization? Well, that's interesting. Yeah. One of our first customers was IQE PLC, who are a leading semiconductor epitaxy firm based in South Wales. And they have international sites in the US, in the UK, uh, in Singapore. Um, and engaging those sites on what was uh, driven from their EU headquarters was one of the challenges that we, that we worked together on in the early days of HUT6. And as I said, the, the, the thing we did was give each regional, each site manager control and access to what went into the campaign. So they, they, they owned it personally. It wasn't something that was driven down onto them. You need the sea, you need, you need the sea leveling uh, buy-in. But it wasn't driven down as, as sort of, this is mandatory and you won't have any say. It was driven as, here's a tool. We need to protect our people. We need a very positive messaging to that conversation. And it started with just handing off control to them, just saying, if you want new con different content in it for your for your particular site and your particular levels, because like they're very interested in is physical security, how do you make sure that engineers treat the secure access zones with the protocol and and and, this, and, and, uh, and drive that they had? And apparently, their phishing reporting has just gone through the roof in terms of people engaging with security and actually talking about it, uh, which has been a huge huge success story for us. Um, but. In terms of internationally driving that change across a large organization, they had to do it themselves internally, but we helped them along that message by providing the tools for their managers to have a say in the feedback, feedback bit and, and, and define the specificity that we essentially pride ourselves on. When you're going into an organization, whose responsibility is the human part of security? That's a bit of a sort of complex one 
because I'd love to say everybody's, but that's not their job role. I think everyone has a part to play, but in terms of whose job is it to convince everyone to play their part in the security of the company, um, you need, I think, someone in your security team who takes control of the awareness campaign. If you're not putting in the, the legwork outside of your awareness training, for example, with promotional emails, videos with your C-level talking about why it's important to them, um, posters, blog posts, or even having seminars and talking about it live to, to accompany the training that we provide, you're gonna, you, you, need, uh, you won't be able to drive behavior change effectively. You know, we, we're moving beyond just ticking the box security awareness campaigns to that, how do I test the real world value? And the way you do that is by having an awareness manager or someone responsible in your security team or IT team for the awareness of the company. And just expanding on that point, who owns the risk of human security? Well, interestingly, in the GDPR, the, the data protection officer has various responsibilities stipulated, one of which is raising awareness and educating users across the organization. Uh, then following up with that as well, there are, if anyone's processing personal data, they have stipulations about what training they need to receive. Um, so from a risk perspective, the DPO, the board, the directors, um, but it, it's, it's about changing your organization to fit with the, the current situation. You know, if all you have is an IT team and you're a 100-person organization, you need to hire for security. You need to make sure that you're getting those, that expertise in to start protecting what, what you most value, which is your information. And before we talk about review and feedback of, to your clients, just going back slightly, how, have you had many challenges in terms of trying to receive funding to obviously facilitate for your services? So for our seed round of funding, we came out the Alacti Incubator and we had a great list of investors whom we'd already had contact with throughout the process, which was really beneficial. It afforded the time to go out there and find the funding. Wales is a fantastic place to be for funding. There's a, there's a huge sense of patriotism, even for the non-Welsh people who come to settle there and build their companies there. The money goes maybe three times as far as it would in London um, because of you know just office space and costs way down. And so we found, you know, we got investment from a lot of Welsh businessmen themselves. So, Sir Terry Matthews, a fantastic Welsh businessman, set up Mitel and uh, various other semiconductor tele telephony um, businesses. Then we've got uh, the founders of Admiral Insurance um, backing us as well, various other private wealth individuals, and the Welsh government themselves, which has made it a great place to do business. Um, in terms of finding that funding, there were investors who were looking to turn South Wales into what it has become, which is a cyber, a cyber ecosystem. Um, you'll see here, actually, if you go to the top, um, sort of near the innovation zone, first level in information security, there's Cyber Wales. You can go talk to the Welsh government about what they're doing. There are about eight or so Welsh companies here associated with them uh, who are doing great work. And, you know, in terms of the... Um, Malvern was the first cyber cluster, but South Wales has become the biggest cyber cluster. We're a, we're a proud member of that organization. And the support you find there in terms of how to sell a cyber product, how to grow your business has been hugely valuable to us. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just the, the integration between government, police, corporates, industry, entrepreneurship, um, 
risk capital is a winning formula in Wales. Excellent. A point well made. Just going back to the human part of security, the last couple of questions on this. How do you review or feedback to your clients? We do that all within the platform. Um, there's sort of comments and approval and various other aspects. Um, we are quickly building more tools and more software products for them to help test the real world efficacy. Um, and I think that's something that we'll see where the company is next year. Hopefully we'll be here next year, even more vocal about our differences and how we're changing what security awareness means. How do you see the human side of security evolving in the next three to five years? As I said, I think it's becoming more of a comprehensive solution. So you need the, uh, the testing the, uh, to prove the, the ROI to your customers. Um, the more tools you can fit it in with, the better. If you can fit it in with your compliance and policy tooling, if you can fit, uh, and, sorry, uh, auditing and policing t uh, tools, if you can fit it in with your network monitoring, maybe looking at sort of how users are behaving online. Um, I know a lot of companies are looking at various avenues uh, for machine learning and looking at you know what you can do to to consistently build upon the message you're delivering and, and how you measure behavior and, and, and make us make your system smarter to what your users are actually doing on, on, on your network um, I think from an awareness point of view there will always be an element of we need to drive it across the board um, but the, I think the market in general is moving towards a, a measurement and a metrics focused um, so we know what uh, people, how people are responding to the campaign and can adapt accordingly. It has to be adaptive. It can't be same cookie cutter stuff each year. It needs to be up to date, focused and customized. So in terms of awareness, what are going to be the key influencing factors that are going to drive awareness? When you're raising awareness in an organization, you need to, as I said earlier, access those motivators, but it also needs to negate the reasons for insecure behavior. Um, I think that people will communicate with, uh, will, will um, buy in on, di on different levels. And I think that you need to judge your organization, work out what messaging you need, and then make sure that your training is that. It doesn't have any arbitrary or um, bloated security advice or policies that just don't apply. Because the moment someone hears something, they just go, well, why would I ever think about that? That's not what my organization does. They switch off. They, they, they understand that the person delivering the training doesn't care enough to make sure that that's not in there. And they think, well, if you don't care, why should I care? So I think the main thing driving awareness is demonstrating the value behind, behind what you're doing and making sure that you make it specific to their instance. And I suppose for you, how do you see you know, yourself as an individual evolving and as an organization in the next three to five years? In the next three to five years, we're gonna start, at the moment we differentiate ourselves in our content and our delivery. Um, we're gonna to move to a place where we have a suite of software tools and have that comprehensive solution to human error that enables managers to confidently say, right, I've got a hot six subscription, and now I can really test what my users are doing, how they're responding to the awareness campaign. I have everything at my disposal to make sure that I can change my tactics as I go forward because ultimately the threats are changing. So the mitigation should change as well. 
Now, we always finish off the podcast with the same 10 questions. So what turns you on professionally? What turns me on professionally? Focus. What turns you off professionally? Arbitrary activities for the sake of doing them. How do you unwind? We play a great deal of sport as a team. Uh, we do a lot of football, squash, that sort of stuff. Um, keep active. What profession other than your own would you like to try? Interesting. I have always thought about going into uh, environmental stuff, so clean energy, uh, clean sort of resource, natural resources, sustainability and conservation. I love that answer. It's the best answer I've had. What activity gives you the most energy? Strategy games, funnily enough. I really love playing chess, playing sort of strategy board games, working out the most effective tactics, that sort of stuff. Who is your biggest inspiration? I would have to say uh, some of our investors have been absolutely fantastic over the years. We've got some great mentors across the board. Um, a close um, a close mentor in the security industry in Wales has been uh, both John Davies and uh, Damon Rands of uh, Pervade Software and Wolfbury Cybersecurity. They are the linchpin of the uh, Welsh cyber cluster and professionally they've really shown me what it means to be a small business and how much you can achieve as a small team. Now I know you're talking today at InfoSec so I don't want that to influence you on the next question but if you had to present a speech right now what one word would be a subject? People. You're at your best when you were doing what? Thinking on the spot, funnily enough, <laughs> he said. Trying to think of another another answer that wasn't that. Uh, <laughs> That's a great answer. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Make sure you love what you're doing. And the last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? Well played. <laughs> Brilliant, and there we go. So where can, where can people find you, your organization, and, and how can they learn more about it? So you can find us at hut6.io, H-U-T-S-I-X.io, and we're also on Twitter, at hut6security. Um, drop us an email, love hearing from anyone who's either interested in having a demo of the product or just finding out more about our approach to security awareness. Uh, I'm happy to have a call with you or you know, feel any emails you want to send over. Thank you. Well, thanks for your time and enjoy your talk this afternoon. It's great to meet you, Carl. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.